87% of the companies that failed were due to founder conflict. I believe that people are really strong. I do think, on the other hand, that relationships are very fragile. Humans are just programmed to attack. You don't always have to be right. There is a massive difference between verbalization and communication. When I'm finished this conversation, I am no longer who I was five minutes ago. That's scary as shit. Just show Just everything. Just show everything. Everything. And that's, that's what we the did. Keyword. And so people everything. really started getting interested. But they're like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, people like, are like, what are you guys doing? I'm Jake the Rover. My life goal is simple. WWE star called Mr. America. My name is Leslie Carls. My nickname is The Panda. And I run this shit. Nick Just Nick. Can I get a midday square? Midday Squares Uncensored. You know what it is. We talk about chocolate, family business, entrepreneurship, and whatever fucks are on our mind. Today is a very, very special show. And the reason why today is a very special show is because we finally have the one, the only, the man, the myth, the legend, Dr. James Gavin. <laughs> I like the idea of a myth. Uh, but you, you really, to our audience so far, you are a myth. Everybody, you guys have listened on the show. I don't think you've heard us uh, enough times say that, you know, there would be no midday squares without Jim. Jim is our business coach, our therapist, uh, our Sherpa through life. And we wanted to bring him on the show today because, you know, here's the number one thing I think in conversations between Les, Jake and I is that so many founders ask us what's one of the biggest pieces of advice that we can give them. And we tell them straight up that if you are getting into a partnership and not seeking out help on a weekly or even biweekly basis from a coach, from, a, from somebody that is licensed to do this, someone that has uh, you know, the attributes to be able to help you on your journey, that you are literally crazy. But what's really weird is that nobody really takes it seriously when we say it. There, there's a lot of, yeah, I don't know if we're there yet. Yeah, if we need it. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of that. So we're gonna get into the show today, and that is specifically what it's about. It's about what does having a coach on your team do, and in order to do that, we're gonna introduce Dr. Gavin. Ta-da! Hi everybody. Uh, so this is me. What's doing, Jim? <laughs> I am I am doing fabulously well. Uh, I am I'm up in the great wild wilderness on a frozen lake. Not in this moment, but uh, all's good. And um, what would you like to know about me? Ooh, I mean that's a that's loaded a, question. That's a loaded yeah. question. I think for starters, I think for starters. Um, for the listener who doesn't know you and only knows us through uh, through us, is who are you, uh, Jim? Like, who are you and how did you end up here? Because we've never even actually spoken about that. I, I, I don't know how you ended up in this uh, path of life. Oh, cool. Uh, I mean, it's a very long path, so I need to be really succinct about this. I grew up in New York City, west side of Manhattan, uh, in a street that had the distinct honor of having the highest crime rate in New York City, 
whoo, and I was part of that whole scene. Um, I, I, I grew up in uh, with immigrant parents, and somehow, even though they had zero education, I ended up uh, having a PhD in psychology at a very tender age of just about 26 and uh, worked for American Airlines as a psychologist. Went out to Colorado because I didn't, I don't know, I didn't like wearing three-piece suits so much. And uh, although I, lo I looked good in them, I really looked good. <laughs> and went out to Colorado as a professor of psychology and uh, worked underground as a miner. I forgot that I was also in the United States Marine Corps, but uh, I don't want to talk about that right now. Those, those were very proud and uh, challenging days. And I worked underground as a, a miner in order to understand what it was like, because I was working with mining companies at the time. And I guess that's really part of my philosophy, that, that you can't know it until you do it. And and so I, I tried to work with, people in experience what they're experiencing understand from the inside rather than from any outside perspective of looking at and analyzing i like the up close and personal i moved to montreal many many years ago at concordia university and have done lots and lots of things. I've actually have been a semi-professional dancer. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. You, you wouldn't you know it looking at me. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, I mean, everyone thinks that I'm just a badass uh, Steven Seagal Aikido black belt, which I am too, but not the, so much the badass. But uh, um, and and I also I, I lived in an ashram, um, which I I dearly loved and. Watch the guru get tarred and feathers for inappropriate behavior as they let him out the door with his $6 million that he took with him. <laughs> so uh, a very, a very rich experience, most important of which is I have five incredibly amazing, amazing children uh, ranging in a wide age period from the youngest being 11 and the oldest being much older than the founders of Midday Squares. <laughs> How old is your eldest, out of curiosity? Oh, God, 46, 47, I think coming on 47. You know, I, I was, uh, I, 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 of course, I'm not that old myself. But... For the record, to everybody that's listening, we don't know Jim's age. I've never, I've never actually known how old you are. Well, all I, all I'll say is I haven't gotten the vaccine yet. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> you know, I'm not over 85. Um, so like, that's, that's crazy to me that and number one, we could probably do a whole episode on, on just Jim's life. My biggest question is why do you think founders or people are so apprehensive about entering a room, um, to have with, with each other? to have hard conversations and to, to discover and grow. What do you think it makes that society is so apprehensive about doing this? That is a, a really cool question. Um, and, and there are so many reasons. And I think that, you know, there's a simple one that 
Uh, there's a lack of knowledge about what it's all about. And when we don't know something, there is fear. <laughs> we, we are afraid. We, we are afraid of discovering all those demons inside of us. There's also another piece, which is the, the shame blame game uh, or the hot potato. It's not my fault, really. You know, it, uh, nothing about me needs to change. It's all of those other people. And, and beneath that, if you scratch a little bit deeper, what you get to is, uh, you know, a lot of defensiveness around, uh, you know, if I reveal this, then I'm vulnerable and people will think that I'm not competent. I've got to be strong. There are all of these, you know, senses of, of who we need to be in the world in, in order to uh, have the, the right image. I, I, I think that there's a, a really big piece in, in Western culture, at least, if you can ever talk about something like Western culture, because it's so, so diverse. But, but still, in the North American context, there, there's still this rugged individualism. And I, I have literally heard people say this, you know, I, I feel like I'm a failure if I have to go to somebody to get help because I should be able to do it myself. And, and, I, and I think that the, the, there's a, a, a big piece as well about blind spots. The blind spot is, I, you know, fish in water don't know that they are in water. We, we grow up in a culture where so many things, and I'm talking about a family culture or a city culture, you know, a very small or big culture, and it has lots of beliefs and values. And so what we think is right, it is really fixed and hard, and, and it causes us not to see. Uh, I mean, the whole thing with diversity and inclusion these days is, is, you know, people are surprised. I'm not a racist. Well, you know, we're all sort of a little bit, you know, because we, we grew up in a world that just plugged that program into us and, and we don't see it. And so someone says, hey, you're this or that, you're not a good listener or, or you're a racist or, or you're just inconsiderate and say, no, not me. Look at yourself, get the mirror and put it in front of you. So there's a lot of defensiveness. And, and I don't mean that in a mean spirited way. I just I just mean that it's it's really hard to to look at ourselves because there is in all human beings, a certain fragility of the ego. Oh, yeah. And mm -hmm. I think this is a great point to go over to Jake because Jake really, I remember when we first had the conversation about this whole tripod going to see Jim together. Um, t what was your first, what was your first experience when, when we spoke about this? I think Jim hit it on the on the nail. It's, you know, failure is something that you fear. And, you know, to ask for help um, or to need help in quotations um, is deemed failure. And that's how I thought. I thought, you know, maybe, you know, if I needed to go someone, speak to someone and I can't do it myself, then who am I? And that was the culture I was brought up in in our society, unfortunately. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I say it unfortunately because it is unfortunate. Um, when I grew up, you know, with the schooling systems, with this, with that, you know, it's like a taboo topic. It's like it's like a weird thing. It's like an, an embarrassing thing in quotations. And so I took that. I, I listened. I heard. I would see that through the media, through everything I was watching, everything surrounding and bombarding me was that notion of 
You don't need it. You could do it yourself. You could figure it out. You're you're tough. You're a man. You're tough. You're sports. This, that. Yeah. And you know what? Um, I was hesitant at first. Uh, I remember in August 2018, you guys told me about it. I was just like, guys, I really don't want to do this. Like, it's just, it's not for me. Like, you guys could go. I'm, I I respect you guys for wanting to That's go. That's the number one feedback I always get. It's just not for me. I respect you, yeah, but it's, not, but for it's not for me. So I said, you know what? But then this is what happened, Jim, and everyone listening is, I think you brought up, Nick brought up um, about his partnership in the past. And he said how things just fell apart. And I kind of started to think about it because I knew I've known Nick for a while because he's been with Leslie. And I, I've seen certain things of how you had, I didn't understand why you made certain decisions in your life. It couldn't register in my head. It was like, you know, you were, you, you, you were kind of on top in my eyes. Why would you leave on top? But then when you start talking about this deep stuff of, of, of Dr. James Gavin, I start to think, Maybe there is something to it. Maybe there's something real behind this. Maybe there's something very valuable that we can all learn from and personally grow from and then grow each other apart. You start to grow together. And that's when I realized that I'm going to give it a chance. I'm going to go in open-minded. The first interaction we had, though, um, the first session we had, Jim, was too intense for me. And it kind of actually, not turned me off is the word, but discouraged me because I was like, this is, this is I'm not doing it's this again. Fear, right? Yeah, but I'm not, I'm like I'm not doing I'm not putting myself through that again. Yeah. But exactly. then I started and then and only did I start to realize that I'm going to keep being open-minded. I'm going to have an uh, I'm going to have an open heart with this and I'm going to I'm going to buy into it. I'm going to buy into it. And it was probably one of the greatest decisions I've made to date. So and I, and I say it with, with genuine thank you, Jim. Me too. Would, Les, I, let's go over to you because what was your first experience well, with I this whole Well, I wanted to world? hit on a few things that Jake mentioned that I, I fully agree with. I think, number one, you hit something. You you did uh, hit a core for me, which is you did your first session and you realized how hard it was to actually face these real um, truths. And that's the thing is most people, and probably Jim, you can attest to this, is they do a couple of sessions and then they actually quit because it's too hard to put in the work. We don't just show up for therapy. We show up for therapy, but we do the work. We have the hard conversations. We have the discomfort, uh, the uncomfortable conversations. And so for me growing up in my household, I mean, this is something that happened to me. I was put into therapy at a young age, uh, probably 10 years old. Um, I was told that there was something wrong with me. And I was put through therapy. I had over five therapists growing up for multiple different things, trauma, um, eating disorders, uh, learning disorders, learning disabilities, told that I'm, you know, I'm a problem child. Same, by the way, same. Right. I know that's we've talked about this. And so I I was told that I was a problem child and that I need a shrink. And I never really cared and it's actually funny what people said because I so I enjoyed my sessions so much I was so free in these sessions and that was so powerful for me and I actually before Jim I didn't really find someone 100% that I did jive with but before Jim I I had it there uh, a, a, a psychologist her name was Pearl and she introduced to me something that was so important to how I live my life, which is in a herd of zebras where all the zebra's skin is black and white and their necks are short and all they could do is look up, down, left, right, and they all walk in the same direction. Then there's these beautiful giraffes 
and they go in the opposite direction. Their necks are so long and they have these beautiful spotted coats and they can actually see beyond the tree, but they can also come down and see what the zebras see. But the zebras cannot see what they see because they don't have those long necks. And I related to that and that changed a lot of my path. And so from an early stage, I've been a huge believer in seeking help and finding help and facing these hard conversations. And like Jim said, we all we all have this thing in us that needs work. And we all want to think that we're perfect, but we're not. And so, yeah, you do got to show up and put in the work. I think it's super important at this point uh, to give you all context to how Jim even came into my life. Um, and so basically what happened was, so what I'm about to say, I hate saying it because it sounds like it's egotistical, but it's not coming from a place of ego. It's, I have to set the stage for you to understand the magnitude of a decision that I had to make in my life. So I ended up in a company where I was literally, I got to the point where I was making over a million dollars a year, uh, like net net. And I was becoming increasingly miserable. Maybe I wasn't thrilled with what my occupation was, but the money was so good that I wanted to continue showing up every day. But I felt like I had lost my entire soul in the process. Like I was not showing up for Nick anymore. And then I was confronted with this idea that, well, why is your, why is your soul so broken? And the reason why my soul was so broken was uh, that I was in a partnership with uh, three other people that just wasn't going great. It was actually deteriorating by the day. And one of my close friends, Andrew Sider, um, introduced me. So for everybody that doesn't know, Shopify is huge on having business therapists and coaches in there. Um, and one of the lead coaches at Shopify uh, introduced my best friend, Andrew Sider, to James, um, Sir Gavin. And, and basically, Andrew introduced G- uh, Jim to me. And Jim and I started this insane road, what I call it, to recovery. I call it my recovery road because it took us almost two and a half years to build the mental courage, to build the belief, to build the idea of what I wanted out of life, to show up to this place um, and, and plan an exit out of a company to Jake's point earlier that was running smoothly, that was becoming more profitable every single year, that was in society's terms, a massive success. Mm -hmm. Why the fuck would you want to leave that? And that's where uh, Jim comes in. And, And what happened was in that last partnership, we weren't all on the same page, myself and the other partners. And so when I left that, it took me about 12 months to decompress and really get my soul back in check. Um, And then we were introduced to this idea of doing midday squares. And that's when I looked at Leslie and Jake and said, like, I cannot commit to this unless we commit to seeing Jim. Mm -hmm. When I think about it, Jim, it's pretty crazy that when people ask us what the most pivotal decision has been to date in midday squares, I would say it was the decision to be committed to seeking Jim. But but before you end that, I I think... It's not even the fact that going and accepting that you're going to it. It's 
the amount of energy, emotionality, and exhaustion that comes after these sessions or during these sessions is crazy. I know we do these sessions in the morning just to give everyone perspective. Sometimes at 8, 8 in the morning and they go on until 9, 30, 10 sometimes. But, you know, you feel so good after, but you're so exhausted because there is so much that comes out. And this is where I want people to hear. There is juice in there. There's depth and juice and it does take a toll on your body. But you know that feeling when you pump really hard for like, I don't know, like an hour and a half, two hours, and you're exhausted. You feel incredible. Your brain feels incredible, but you're just tired. That's what these sessions are like. Yes. Jim, two questions in that note, which is, why do you think hard conversations are so hard to have? So let's start with that. What what do you think makes a hard conversation so hard to have? I know we always show up to you and we're like, we have all these feelings. You have a person that you're usually having an issue with, you want to say something to them, but for whatever reason, you're so scared to say it. And so you end up doing a lot of uh, beating around the bush, going to speak to maybe another person to speak to that person, instead of just having these direct lines of of bullets. Yeah, that's a a really great question because I I think that there are a bunch of factors um, uh, one is kind of the the eggshell theory, and and the eggshell theory is a, a belief that human beings are really these fragile, delicate uh, entities, and if we, you know, do something that's a little bit rough, they're going to break, and and so we're fearful, um, and and the truth is that people are pretty resilient. They're they're. You know, I, I believe that people are really strong. I do think, on the other hand, that relationships are very fragile, and and so there there is a risk that that when you say something, it's not going to break the person, but it it could break the relationship. The other thing that comes to mind is that we don't have a language. You know, there's a lot of talk about the languages of love. Well, there's also a language of communication and and how how we speak about things, and we we have a pattern that we think this is the way to speak. So, if I can just bring this out, Nick, that that I had recommended a, a book that um, many of you may know, and it's uh, Marshall Rosenberg's Nonviolent Communication. It's a really classic old book, and and it talks about some really simple things like speak only for yourself and don't lay the burden on the other person. You made me feel, you know, you did this to me. I, I think that, that our uh, sense the shame-blame game, you know, either I feel ashamed of something or I'm going to blame you. And, and in order for us to work this through, I need to really own where I am. And sometimes owning where I am, someone comes up to me and they confront me with, with something. And I may say, I'm simply not able to be open to this conversation at this point. That's cool. Uh, it's it's not like you know you're you're a jerk for saying this to me, uh, but I, I I can't I'm I'm not in a receptive place. I think that we need to learn what the language is when we're communicating, particularly about emotions. The you know the, the someone said um, you know engineers don't don't uh, 
um, you know, get into debates about things because they they always know the right answer. And some of us think that we 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 know we know the right answer to and and so I I am only listening in order to respond. That's the yeah. That's like one of the number one things I think we've all learned is this. You don't even realize it when it's happening. By the way, like. You're okay. So Les may be speaking, Jake may be speaking, I may, whatever. It doesn't matter. But what I realize is that at one point in time, when your defense mechanism raises and Mm. you feel that you are on the opposition of what's being said, your brain literally stops listening to the person and starts to gear up a rebuttal. Mm. I have to say, after three years of putting in the work, I actually know when I'm not listening anymore. I'm very much aware of it. Me too. And either I'm I'm going to say, okay, Les, listen, stop thinking about a robot on. I think, Jim, you hit a great point is people always, you know what, I, I was actually just talking about this with a friend the other day. And, you know, I think the issue is, is that people always want to be right. And what I realized through our sessions is that you don't always have to be right. It's not about that. You know, like you could have different opinions. We all do. You could believe different things, but you don't need to believe the same things. You could still let the other person believe what they want and you believe what you want and still have a flow of a conversation. You don't always need to have the last word and you don't always need to be right. And if you really listen, you really properly engage with someone, you can have a calm, good conversation. It's when you get worked up by what the other person says and feel that you are the right one is when you start becoming hypocritical because why isn't the other person right, right? So it's a lot of that. I think the violent communication is everything. Um, it changes the whole game. Um, you know, when you communicate with anyone, not just our partners here, with anyone, you know, team members, friends, family, you change your whole game. You know, for me, at least before these three years, um, I used to always say, why me? Um, if they're coming at me, if someone's coming at me, it was like war. It was like, okay, let's get the shields up. Let's get the weapons ready and we're going. Yep. Um, and then and then now what I do in those scenarios, I've learned with Jim um, that I actually need time. I need like, and it's okay. And I need like five, 10, 20 minutes, an hour maybe to just register what's going on. And then I'll come back, but my defense isn't there. It's, it's okay, I've listened and I'm ready to have a conversation, but it takes time. Again, this isn't going to happen overnight. It doesn't happen on one session. It doesn't happen on two sessions. This is hours and days of work. This is realizations of you putting yourself open-minded to changing because at the end of the day, when I approach something before this, when I start to approach, I would always go on blame or you made me, you did this, you, you, not Jake. I had an experience yesterday at an indigo. This is very important. If I didn't go through these three years, I wouldn't have approached it the same way. A lady that was working there was stressed. A bookstore, right? Yeah, indigo, the bookstore. Great, great store. She was stressed. She was working hard. There was lineups out the door. People are waiting outside in the cold. They're frustrated. The customers are frustrated. She's frustrated because they're going through one door and then people are exiting on the same door and they're bashing, right? And she's just trying to make it clear. She doesn't have a sign to do it. Anyways, I go in by the wrong door by mistake. And I see she's really frustrated, but she says like a comment that she's emotional. She says something like she starts going on about it. And I see she's frustrated. So I say, okay, I back out. I go through the other door and she thinks I was doing it to be a jerk, but I wasn't. So then I'm in the store and I heard her talking to another employee about how everyone's being jerked. These millennials, this, that. And for me, I was like, okay, usually I would either get angry and be violent and say, you did this, you did that. So I decided to go up to her and say, hey, how are you doing? 
And I just said, how are you doing? And she's like, I'm overwhelmed. I'm like, listen, I'm not here to argue with you. I'm here. I have a good idea for you. Why don't we go get you a sign so that we could help the flow of traffic happen and move the things? She's like, no, I didn't mean to say that about you. I'm like, I'm like, no, no, I'm coming here to help you. I'm coming here because I, I understand what you're going through and it's frustrating. You, you don't have the communication with the customer and the customer is angry with you. So obviously there's going to be tension. And my girlfriend couldn't believe it. I literally went from her thinking me, I'm uh, the biggest jerk in the store, millennial, this, that, to me being best friends with her. She then helped me find a book and she said, honestly, you made my day. Love that. You really helped me because I, I thought I was going to get fired today. I thought I was going to get fired. So again, humans are just, they're, it's like they're programmed to attack. They're not programmed to work with. And I think that these sessions that we've been working on, Jim, has changed me personally to start thinking like that and acting on it as well. And it's just, it's like a magic power you get. It's a superpower. Mm-hmm. And then it stays with you. I, I agree with that. But this is, you nailed it dead on. And Jim, I love also your perspective on this is when I go into podcasts or whatever with other founders and they ask us, well, what's the number one thing you've gained from this relationship with seeing a coach um, and seeing Jim? And I said, well, it's very, very simple. There is a massive difference between verbalization and communication. And so this goes back to the book Sapiens. Uh, If anybody, if you've not read the book Sapiens yet, I encourage you to do so because more so than anything, it will really uh, help you become curious about where we come from as people, what our evolution has been, what our brain's evolution has been. One of the main things that you, that I realized in reading that book is the entire idea of language was never built around emotionality. Language is an abstract to be able to name things, to count, to keep record. That's really what language was originally created for, was the ability to keep record of things. This is a bottle of water that I'm holding in my hands. There's one bottle of water. I put it down. There's still one bottle of water. But then we started to create all these types of words to describe feelings, anger, love, sadness. Now, the problem with that is that a word cannot capture the complexity of emotion. And so for humans, our whole life, we go around speaking And we think because we're speaking to each other that we're communicating. Mm -hmm. And when in reality, we're, in my opinion, really just verbalizing. And so a lot of people come into this pre with into a session, let's say with Jim, myself included, when I started with this preconception that I'm communicating. What are you talking about? I speak with my wife all the time. I speak with my partner all the time. And then you start to get into, so for everybody that's listening, he Jim did give me the, the, the book, uh, Nonviolent Communication, and I swear to, on, on everything, I can read a calculus book, an algebra book, no problem, rip through it, and I can, like, conceptualize everything. I still, to this day, A, have not mastered nonviolent communication, I, when I read that book, each page is treacherous for me. It takes me about 20 reads to actually start to think about what it's being said. And I realized, holy fuck, I have no idea how to communicate. Like straight up, Mm -hmm. I thought my whole life I knew how to communicate. I have no idea how to communicate. How, How much of what you see in the world, Jim, really comes down to the simple idea of not being able to communicate properly? Well, one of my favorite quotes of all times is from uh, Antoine Saint-Exupéry's The Little Prince. And The Little Prince uh, 
um, and talking to the fox. They're having a great conversation. And the fox says, words are the source of misunderstanding. That if I say anger or I say happiness, each of us has a, a complex equivalent for what that means. And they're not the same. And, and so even though we are in quotes using the same language, our words have really, really different meanings. So uh, just getting on the same page of what you mean and what I mean is an incredibly challenging task for human beings. I want to go back to something that you said, Jake, uh, in this regard, that, that you, you have to be willing to change yourself you know, in, in a communication process. And, and I think that one of the, the real uh, issues, the fears, so to speak, that we face when we're communicating with someone about, you know, sensitive issues, important issues, is that I'm, I'm going to have to change. And indeed, that's true. There's a, a guy at MIT, Otto Scharmer, He's an economist, and he has one of the most profound theories. It's called Theory U. And he talks about the, the three enemies uh, of, of listening and communicating and, and how we can combat them. And, and one thing is we need to open our mind to cognitively to the words and the meanings that the other person is expressing. Then we need to open our hearts Okay, so I'm going to open my heart and I'm going to have empathy and compassion for you, irrespective of whether or not I would feel the same way in that situation. I get inside of your skin to feel what you're feeling and drop my skin in, in order to really inhabit what your reality is. But the third one is really hard. It's called open will. And open will means that I will engage in a conversation with you in such a way that whoever I am, whatever identity I have, whatever values and beliefs I am holding on to that give me structure in terms of my identity, I am willing to release my hold on them so that perhaps when I'm finished this conversation, I am no longer who I was five minutes ago. That's scary as shit. Can I, I need to bring up an example. Yeah, and then I want to touch yeah, on that. Yeah, because holy smokes, that, that, was, that was heavy. And that, and that is so true on everything you just said, Jim, and it brings up so much emotion in me. Um, I think one of the key pieces is what's scary for everybody when they start to go through transform, real, truthful, transformational change is the loss of self, identity. There was a big moment in time, Jim, you remember, uh, Les, I think both of you remember, that I felt that as we were working on this partnership that I kept on giving a part of who I was to start accommodating our, our relationship, meaning I felt like I was changing so much that I started to have resentment at some point being like, well, what are you guys changing? Why am I changing so much? And that goes back to this will component of where I, I had this moment, I, I feel that in doing the hard work with Jim where I hit a plateau. And my plateau of change was that I was still not willing to release my identity. 
that I was pissed that I was changing my identity and felt like I was giving up more than YouTube were giving up when in reality it actually has no fucking it means nothing it's all fictitious anyways and humans have this really good way of keeping scorecards like I don't know why we're so trained but we have scorecards we're like okay I I changed a little bit you should change mm-hmm. a little and so when you just said the part on will I was like oh my god that's really my last plateau, how I got over that was this moment of where we were on a emergency session, Les, I, and Jim, uh, and, and I had this realization that it was time to fully let go of whatever belief I had was my identity. Yeah, no, I, I have to say, Jim, that I have trouble with the open willingness, and I, I know we've spoken about this in our sessions where I'm continuing to work because... It, it is hard. And for anybody who's listening, you know, you you hear these words and what we're speaking about is very hard to do. And it takes time and there's a process and you have to believe it and you have to lose yourself in it. You know, and I think that's a big thing, too, is like when we talk about therapy or psychology or coaching or all of that stuff, people think that the person that you're with is going to change you. But they're there to guide you. You have to put in the work. You have to embody these theories. You have to try it for yourself to see it through, right? And I think that's the hardest part because I didn't know about open willingness until Jim and I spoke about it. And then I realized how hard it was for me to actually do that. You know, like you're just speaking about, right? And and so, yeah, it's you really have to commit. Yeah, to like if, if you're listening to this, Really ask yourself, like, how willing are you to change? Really? Like, Most think, people aren't. No. No. I they're, they're just not. And that's it. Like, straight up. Like, I, I hear it all the time. People say, oh, we're going to get we're gonna get a coach. We're going to get a coach. But, like, they do one session. It's over. And it's like, why? It's like, did you really solve your problem? Because it's an internal thing that you have to solve. It's well, not I know a lot of people a surface. don't want – they go into it. They have hard conversations like you had on the first one. And they don't go back because it's too hard. Yeah, I only went back because because I was like, okay, maybe that next one will be better. Uh, that's the only thing I, the reason why I went back, and then that's the right mindset. Yeah, and no, but then it became oh, maybe the next one would be better than the next one, and then I started to like Jim, you know this, like I started to get my voice heard. Yeah, um, and I needed that. I needed these sessions to have my voice heard, and um, now these sessions I speak a lot, and it's just it, it, you know, it's day and night. It's day and night, but yeah. that's because of the open mindedness. That's not because of you know, the why me, I stopped the why me the first second we walked into that room because I knew that, forget about financial, the amount of financial investment it is. This is an investment in us and growing us. You touch on a great point. Done. For me, really, the sessions and the work that I put in with Jim and with you guys has been my source of education. Mm. Therapy helps me grow. It helps me understand humanity. It helps me be a better leader. It helps me understand Leslie. It helps me understand my partners. It helps me understand my team. It faces me to do really challenging things. And I am, I am at the, I am in the best place I've ever been in my entire life. Yeah, I I would agree with that. I am so self-aware. I am so, I'm able to to be in really hard situations and still have empathy, to still set back and look at it from another perspective. I would have never been able to do that three years ago. Hot. It's like the modern day school. It yeah. really is. You know, I, I, I want to shine a light on, on the three of you for a moment because um, one of the things that I, I believe 
about this whole process and change is that uh, there's an adage in the field that, that people only initiate a process of change out of crisis and calamity. They, they need to be really in a bad suffering place. I, I think of, for example, I, I was working with a, a really high executive, uh, a, a woman who had just gotten a really devastating 360 feedback report, which, which pointed out all of these ways in which she was harsh and, and really cruel in, in terms of her relationships with uh, peers and even superiors and uh, direct reports. And, and uh, she was looking at this and we were talking about it and she was saying, yeah, no, no, yeah, no, 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 not me, not me, not me, not me. And, and, and just justifying and justifying. And yeah, I'll go through this process and, and I'll, I'll be coached because, you know, they, they say I've got to do it, but no, I don't, I don't really believe this stuff. And then by chance, she left the report at home and, um, her her partner picked it up and the kids picked it up and they read it and 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 they said mom if if you think these criticisms are bad uh you want to hear from us that's just a pale shadow of 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 what we experience with you and sh and she just fell over backwards in such pain and agony and and was sobbing because her family was falling apart. She got hit in the back of the head with a two by four. So I, 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 I think that, that sometimes people uh, need that. So what I want to say in shining a light on the three of you is, is that you have been engaged in this work for years and, and you do not come in crisis. Sometimes you do. Yeah, <laughs> we know that. Hundred <laughs> percent. Those are those are good moments, also. And but you you have a commitment to this process. No matter what, you trudge through the snow. You 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 drive the distance. You make it happen. You sit down, and and sometimes i I sit there for an hour with you, and I just am marveling at how you are unfolding the the conversation and and then at the end of it, I say, "Wow, I learned so much from you, and that's it, and we hang up you know it's like that that but you show up there there's a there's there's one other quote I just want to put out and and it's it's that Places where we are seen and heard are holy places. And you have created those holy places when we get together. You sit in the seat, you open yourselves, and you speak your truth, and we move. And sometimes all I have to do is create the space. So thank you. Wow. Um, I feel like I feel like there's not much more left to say on the subject matter uh, uh, for the founders that are listening. Um, if you haven't been convinced yet, I don't know what else to do to try to convince you. What I will say is this is why Combinator is one of the um, most successful investing firms, let's call it in, in, in the world, I would say one of the most. 
they've been tracking, they're at a point now where they're invested, if probably over a thousand companies, they've been tracking since the beginning of time, all of their companies that they've made investments in. What they found is of all the companies that failed, so they have successes, outcomes, and failures, failures as they cease operations, 87% of the companies that failed from their investments were due to founder conflict. 87%. That's almost 100%. That is how fragile relationships, relationships are. are. To Jim's point. Then, then you add the pressure cooker of a startup. Mm. The, the, getting into business and making something happen is a rice pressure cooker. Yeah. And so to think that you are going to go into that without help is absurd to me at this point in time. We were just talking about this the other day that I know a lot of people that went into business at a young age that are older now, and they're not the same people they were. And I think it's really sad to see because I know what they were and what they are now. And I can't believe that they started here and they ended up here. And I could have seen the three of us going down that path because of all the hardships that we have gone through on this journey from everything. I don't even need to get into it today, but you guys know when yeah. we sit here and talk about the pressure cooker, what we faced in the last three years. And Jim knows too, the hardships, the moments that really could have changed us into sour grapes. Ooh. And at the end of the day, Mushy. we didn't allow that. And so we're going to continue to work on ourselves and our souls as we grow this business and not allow ourselves to get to that point where there's no return. You choose the incline or the decline. Yes. We chose the incline. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yep. And mm -hmm. the, you know, the craziest thing is, I don't know if you guys are Game of Thrones fans or not, but we just finished watching it a second time, uh, Les and I. And exactly to um, Jim's point, and it hit me, is in life, you're going to go through a path. And then at some point, you're going to realize that following with empathy, being nice and all these things is a lot harder than brute force mm -hmm. by just punching your way through everything, clobbing this, this and that. And in Game of Thrones, one of the most, you know, spoiler alert, basically there's the whole story is this girl that's trying to get back to the throne. She was exiled from when she was young and she was supposed to be a new queen of hope, a queen that did things properly. But as the resistance came, she became chiseled mm. and she started to become more and more like the people that she wanted to destroy, which was brute force leaders that inspire through fear mm. because it's the easiest way to get through it at that point in time. Um, it is, I challenge anybody, even if you're not in business, get through life, not as a tyrant. Right. I love that. That's the hard part. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that just brings to mind that, that keep your heart open because when when it it closes up, it just concretizes it and, and you know, life just becomes a, a pale shadow of what it could be. And, and as well, let's go back to will. Keep your will open. That you, you are not just who you think you are. You are so much more. And and yeah, you can get really comfortable in in being the star this or that, but there is so much more to you if you allow yourself to evolve. And and this life is about evolution. Yep. And on that note, we have a huge surprise that we've been waiting, Jim, to 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 give to you. So I'm gonna hand the mic over to Les. 
So, Jim, Jake, Nick, and I have been with you on this journey for three years. Nick and I have known you for a decade. Um, You have been the center of all change for us. You have kept this tripod pushing forward. There is no MDS without you, Jim. Um, Really, really, there isn't. You believe in us and you understand the power of the tripod and you show up for us whenever we need it. And so today, we officially want to welcome you to the MDS family. We are offering you shares in our company because we want you to have a piece of MDS because without you, there is no MDS. Oh, and, oh wow. And the shares that you will be receiving are not the current shares. Uh, they're the OG original pricing of Midday Squares when it was just born. And oh, so my he, oh, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I, there's nothing to say, Jim. Yeah. You don't have to say anything. That's the beauty of it. Well, I I think that the that thank you, thank you. <laughs> but the but the beauty the beauty is is that I have a share of you, and we, and, and you have a share of me. We that, know that. that. Yeah. We really, we really, we really do. You're you're the Sherpa in life and the leader. We've I think all three of us have always looked for, and more importantly. Um, yeah, when we sat down and we just said, like, we need to give Jim a gift, even, you know, even I know you don't you don't need a gift. It's because we wanted to give a gift. What more so than to actually physically make you part of Midday Squares? Oh, wow. Snaps to oh, Jim. Wow. Blessings. I love you. Love, I love you, you too, love Jim. You too. And on that note, three, two, one. Ole, 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 ole. Ole, ole. Ole, 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 ole. Ole, ole. Midday Squares Uncensored. That's a wrap. That was Dr. James Gavin. I hope you guys learned a shit ton today and go out and apply it into your lives because it will make you better. 